This special edition of CES Tech Talk is brought to you by ARM. ARM technology is at the heart of a computing and connectivity revolution, one that's transforming the way people live and businesses operate. ARM's advanced, energy-efficient processor designs have enabled intelligent computing in more than 150 billion chips, and its technologies now securely power products from the sensor to the smartphone and the car. Hey, everybody. For the Consumer Technology Association, I'm Tyler Suters. We are the owners and producers of CES, the world's largest, most influential tech event. And we're here to help you get CES ready. The show is January 7th through the 10th, 2020 in Las Vegas. And today we are talking about self-driving vehicles, a critical innovation for our health and welfare. Consider this, about 95% of car crashes in the U.S. today are caused by human error. So what happens if self-driving vehicles can fully eliminate human error from that equation? 37,000 people are killed in the U.S. in these kinds of accidents every year, and you move that out globally. We're talking about the potential to save more than 100 million lives worldwide. At CES, you will get ride and drive experiences and ride and no drive experiences. You can test technologies that support the future of self-driving vehicles. And that includes technologies that are evolving even as we speak, parking assist, collision avoidance, emergency braking, much more. So today, a focus on self-driving vehicles, not so much the cars themselves, but all that goes into making them smart, the artificial intelligence, the software involved. So a conversation with three different players in this field all at once, too. First of all, ARM. This is a company that's providing the IP for chips. That means delivering cloud services and providing a complete IoT solution. Remarkable innovation here. Also, NXP. This provides a clear, streamlined approach. It's a domain-based architecture. So we're talking about software and stack, etc. This is something that can intelligently group together the functions that allow cars to sense, to think, and to act very quickly. We're talking about managing complexity and separate concerns in almost real time and often in real time. And finally, VSI Labs, a top advisor that supports R&D and planning departments, both in major auto companies and suppliers as well. It is technical and applied research across hardware, software, connectivity systems, all to advance SDV tech. So today, a deep dive brought to you by ARM into the world of self-driving vehicle innovation. For the special edition of CES Tech Talk, we are in the heart of the self-driving vehicle world, Silicon Valley, California, talking to three experts on this topic. Phil Magny is founder and principal advisor at VSI Labs. Mark Douglas is Field Software Solutions Architect at NXP, and Robert Day is Director of Automotive Solutions and Platforms at ARM. And gentlemen, pleasure to have you all with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. So this is a road trip for us. This is your hometown. Um, Robert, let's start with you. Uh, We're looking ahead to the the future of self-driving vehicles. What, how, and when 
I mean, what will they look like on the road beyond what we're seeing today? And when do we reach, oh, I don't know, I'll, I'll say critical mass, but maybe there's a better mm. term for it. Um, okay, so, so the first ones are going to look like regular cars, except they're going to be strewn with sensors and bits mm. hanging off them. Um, <laughs> but the, the guts of the car are going to be very different. So, you know, the mechanics that we as, um, as users use to actually, you know, steer and, and press the brakes and accelerate, they're going to be the same. That's going to be based on a, a platform that's, you know, well-proven, is safe. The rest of it's all going to be compute and software. And that's where it gets really interesting. So the parts we can't see. The bits you can't see. Mm -hmm. So the sensors you can see. So you'll be able to see there's cameras. <laughs> you'll be able to see there's LIDARs. You'll be able to see there's radars. And you'll, you'll, so you'll know it's self-driving. Uh -huh. But the bits that are actually doing all the real work, the heavy lifting, are going to be in the car. Yeah, Look, what's what's happening underneath all that is a, a competition for for coulombs, for electricity, yeah. because we're going to have a, a completely different thing on our hands. And we also have the evolution of electric vehicles as well. So we'll see a combination of these things being powered electrically, but also driven through a central computer or distributed compute. And we're seeing the evolution of those architectures at the same time. So there's a different kind of thing going on inside the vehicle that that people aren't aware of and they really don't need to be aware of it's just going to work and you know because a lot of people don't care how it gets done just that it gets done or but, but what know. what is going to freak people out is there's not going to be a driver yeah <laughs> that's the bit that's going to really wind people up because they can't see the compute mm -hmm. they can just see there's no driver so i'd and like to point out one other thing that's <clears throat> not very noticeable to uh, looking at these cars is the fact that they all have one thing in common, and that's a bi-wire architecture. So they are, oh, yeah. you have the ability to digitally actuate steering, throttle, and brake. This is something that is completely invisible, yep. but it is the fundamental foundation from which an automated vehicle or automated vehicle technologies are built on. Yep. And, and a lot of that's been there for the longest time. Even in your regular vehicles, you're shifting or you're doing something, and you're not really moving anything mechanical. It's already sending sensors. You know, it's already... Yep actuating through, uh, you know, through different channels. It's not actually, you're not actually doing a shift, you know, it's, it's very interesting there. So, so, so what's interesting is the, the guts that they can't see is basically a ton of different compute, okay, with loads of software. <laughs> and by loads, we're talking hundreds of millions of lines of software. Yeah, just exponentially more than you're dealing with right now Absolutely. in a 2020 car, say. Absolutely. So how difficult or how profound are those challenges? Not just the iteration, the evolution of, let's call it the hardware, but the body of the car, right? Making it more aerodynamic, more energy efficient, safer, all the things that go into constant vehicle development. But it's what you don't see. That, that's where I'd imagine from, from your world, that's where the challenges really lie. Yeah, I think as, as Robert pointed out, I mean, you can certainly spot a development vehicle on the roads here in Silicon Valley because they do have massive arrays of sensors on the roof and highly exposed, a lot of bits and pieces hanging off, as Robert said. <laughs> and if you got the pleasure of looking in the trunk, you would even be uh, really taken aback because the things are loaded with computers uh, and you have a massive power consumption going on with those things as well. I mean, that's the difference, I would say, that where the gaps lie between today's development vehicles and future vehicles that are commercialized, is that that stack, that hardware and software stack, has to come down, be hardened, and put into a platform that is really feasible and practical. Yeah, so if we could itemize those as, you know, the safety elements, both in the hardware and the software, the power budget for the whole vehicle, 
and where all that's coming from. And that's, uh, cue the eye roll. If you I know. Can. Roll. If you're not joining us from the studio. And, and head roll. Right. And head roll. Yeah, head roll I, from Mark too. I embellished yeah. that one. But but those are like the things that when when I go in to talk to customers, they're they're mainly either not aware of certain parts of that, but they are acutely aware of the power demands and what's going to happen and how much compute they have. Because what they they started with in the POC or the proof of concept was, you know. Every, anything that they had available, a big PC, they ram it in the back of the vehicle, and then some AI accelerator component that's also super cool and hungry, and it's it's munching those things down. And where are they coming from? Well, you know, they're driving in a traditional vehicle, and um, all that. When we go to manufacturing, which is a great kind of premise for a question, is all that has to be changed. All that that whole paradigm has to change to lower power consumption. All all of those things that we talked about being safe being verifiable in the software and the hardware. And likewise, I want to add to Mark to, to, oh, yeah, to build on that. Um, and the sensors, I mean, they're all high, highly exposed right now. I mean, they yeah. are yeah. very, very susceptible to inclement yeah. weather. In mm -hmm. fact, these vehicles will not operate in inclement weather without solutions designed mm -hmm. to accommodate, to keep those sensors clean and dry. Mm -hmm. And so you'll start seeing a tighter integration, more, uh, you know, various places within the vehicle hidden rather than being totally exposed like they are now. Yeah, and Phil, coming from Minnesota, I'd assume that inclement <laughs> weather has a different definition for you than Absolutely, for us yeah. Out here. We are uh, probably the only company in the, in, the, in, in the state of Minnesota that is developing <laughs> automated vehicles, but we're not out to build a better self-driving car. We run a testing lab, and our mm -hmm. job is to really uh, test the different, with our own development vehicles, test out different combinations of sensors and, and computers and software and obviously a lot of the experiments we do are in the winter so we are um, we are showing and demonstrating how you can operate these and cope with the climate weather. Uh, Robert I want you to play if you would off of something that Mark said regarding the design and, and mm -hmm. it all changing mm -hmm. and you were heading in this direction earlier which is the way the car looks not just on the outside but really on the inside because when you don't need to drive why do you need Four seats facing forward. Why do you need a cabin yep. that, that yep. has a specific design to it? Yeah, and, and so it's very interesting. If you start positioning yourself from being a driver to a passenger, mm -hmm. the inside of the car just changes completely. I actually don't want to know what speed we're doing. Okay? <laughs> I really, I kind of almost it don't... It become a mobile office, right? Well, maybe, yeah. So I, I, and I almost don't want to see what's going on around me. I'm just going to assume the... So it's like being in an aeroplane. You're assuming that the, you know, the, the pilot's going to get you there, and you really don't want to know what's kind of going on. And so I think in a self-driving car, there'll be all of these things in there which will enable us to be like in our home or in our office, enable us to get keep working or keep playing or whatever we want to do. Mm -hmm. And it's almost a distraction from what's going on kind of with what's going on in the car. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's going to be beeps and buzzes and, you know, so it's not like, you know, Kit with Knight Rider where it says, okay, Michael, I'm going to take over now and off we go. It's really going to be, I'm just going to get you from A to B. And all you're going to do is like with your Uber app is you type in, I want to get downtown and it will mm -hmm. take you downtown and it will say, you've arrived, get out. Yeah. <laughs> and far safer than we would ever do it ourselves. Hell yeah. <laughs> Mark, Phil brought up an interesting term, one I hadn't heard before. Hardening the stack. You yeah. live, uh, I believe, in the software stack. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. Oh, and the underlines, too. The, so, the bootloaders, the, the kernel running underneath, and all of that well, stuff. Well, give us a view of what sure. what your life is like right sure. now. Uh, not personally, but more about the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the professional space, because that's where you, know, you all are in, in, in consensus here. Okay. That, that's where the magic's happening. Okay, let right me now. bring out a few, like the elephants in the room right now is, uh, not in this room, but in the, in the actual... <laughs> you know, a virtual room, if you will, of, of what's going on is um, you have, 
a sort of an evolution in the software realm where you, you, people have taken traditional operating systems like Linux and other POSIX type, you know, uh, or uh, you know, sort of runtime code. And on top mm -hmm. of that, they've layered stuff that needs to keep track of all these sensors, timestamp it, do it in a very quick fashion, and isolate that environment. And then you have maybe multiple application spaces that are going to kind of come up in the future. We're seeing the evolution of a software-defined vehicle right now. That's one yeah. elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then also this whole latency associated with timestamping items and then comparing them and making sure you're not comparing stale data from one to the other. The other, uh, I would say the other elephant in the room is there's a different PO uh, philosophy of use. There's a mm -hmm. bit different POU that comes from different manufacturers. And you guys all interact with... I'm looking, I'm looking at the rest of the folks here that we all interact with people that have different ideas about it. Folks that are in areas with weather, they know they need LIDAR, radar, all the different types of sensors combined with camera. There's folks from another school of thought that believe that they can do the whole thing with just cameras and stereo cameras and, and, and changing different things. And we're starting to see that that combined with the evolution of people trying to make the, the, uh, the neural nets learn and, and be more accurate with less, with less information or train them in a different fashion. So there's a whole bunch of different things that feed into this, mm -hmm. this system to make it more efficient and better and so mm -hmm. on. So I just threw out a whole bunch of stuff that the guys can work with if they want to. But uh, Yeah, let's just add, based on the, the, the use cases, it's something that I like to always point out. You know, when you're talking about automated vehicle technologies or driverless technologies, whatever label you want to call that. I mean, you really have to look at the, the different use cases and they're kind of some primary ones. Like for example, you have series production, automated technologies now coming into the market, level two, level two plus, eventually level three. And so that's one trajectory and OEMs and developers are often working on that path uh, by itself, you know, because that's so unique, you know. Um, and then you have the other companies working on the robo-taxis, which are, of course, your level four vehicles. And those right. are the ones we were talking about earlier, fantasizing about having the, you know, everything in the interior, being able to, you know, do what you want to do and so Not forth. fantasizing, envisioning. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, have low-speed speed shuttles, which are now a very pragmatic use case for automated vehicles that operate in, you know, campuses or communities or mm -hmm. or uh, low speed operating, you know, kind of people movers. So, um, so you got to kind of take a look at the the different trajectories of it to really understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, so I I'd like to kind of come back to your initial question of when, how, what, where. Yeah, that, that's an open ended question, Robert. So okay. You can hit right. that we'll, anytime. we'll keep going on that. Um, so so one of the interesting things is coming off what something Phil just said is. Um, you know, what these initial deployments are going to look like is they're going to be very specific use cases or operational design domains, yeah. ODDs they're called. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, well, I'm going to be in this part of the city. I'm going to go at this speed. I'm only going to go out when it's daytime, only in this weather. And that defines how the car is going to operate. Mm -hmm. Then what you can do is you can kind of laser in on, well, if I know I'm only going to be here, I'm going to map the heck out of it. I'm going to have these sort of sensors. I'm going to know where I am at any one time. Okay, and I can update that information just because I've got a very specific place I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. And so that will enable these first self-driving cars to actually hit the roads and hit the roads without having the safety driver. And the safety driver is the bit right now which is 
basically making sure that these things operate correctly mm -hmm. because they can take over at any time. Mm -hmm. Highly constrained operating design domain. I completely agree with that. I think it'll even be even. It might even go further than that. It might be specific roads, specific lanes, specific times yep. a day. Yep. Uh, you might even have predetermined drop off and pickup points. I mean, yep. the whole idea here is to limit the exposure of that vehicle to so-called edge cases or, or, or things that are outside of your control? Well, humans. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah. humans making poor decisions, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But there'll be plenty of redundancy in there. I mean, there'll be plenty of safety checkers yeah. in there. There'll yeah. be traditional elements always, uh, you know, looking and grabbing and tapping off of the, the instructions that go to the drive-by-wire system. Because if you're going around a turn at 30 miles an hour and the whole system says you should accelerate, uh, you know, depending on the weather and stuff and what you're, you know, measuring with the inertial systems and such, you're not going to want to do that. And something needs to catch that. And that'll mm -hmm. always be there. In fact, a lot of the designs right now, they don't worry so much about the safety of the whole system because they have a checker yep. that's at an ASO level that's actually checking. So a lot of people that when we come in on and talk to them, they're not yet transitioning in their brains are starting to a little bit that they need a certain amount of that in the main system, but they're going, ah, we don't worry about that yet because we've got something always watchdogging and, mm -hmm. and taking a look at that. So Mark, is this a deterministic wrapper then, basically the checker that essentially says, okay, there are certain things we physically can and cannot do under certain conditions, mm -hmm. basically. That's and right. uh, I think there've been several companies that have, have talked about their own checker solutions, mm -hmm. if you will. I won't That's get right. into names, but. Yeah, it almost sounds like, and this is probably a ham-handed way to put it, but like geofencing. Yes, it's exactly geofencing. geofencing. Yeah. 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 Boy, thanks for the validation, Robert. You're welcome. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Bring you got it in one. <laughs> so, Mark, you touched on the idea of um, you know, uh, responsibility, the redundancy yes. of having a backup driver. Yes. Um, another uh, point that comes to mind that, that you've, took a step in this direction but responsiveness and you know yes. for the last what 50 years we talk about cars and responsiveness you're talking about a sports car and That's how right. quickly it can corner um how how how, how well it moves oh, right? and those are the things that we like to drive we like to do this whole thing is going to be very jarring because mm -hmm. we're talking about we're taking that element away from folks mm -hmm. and they're now they're going to be driving you know for their own enjoyable pleasure rather than you yeah. know, between these other reasons. But anyway, sorry. Well, well, down, no, but that, no, that's okay. That responsiveness, though, is very much in your court from a software point of view because this is the, the exceptionally low latency you have. The yeah, responsiveness meaning, meaning the incoming data yeah. and then the reaction of the vehicle. Yeah, let's give you some perspective, yeah. too. Um, so, you know, like they say race car drivers react at, I've seen all this data between 350 to 400 milliseconds in normal normal schmoes and people like us, we, we maybe we're at, you know, half a half a second or 500 mm -hmm. milliseconds. And a lot of times when we try to enter these designs at different stages, we find that, you know, the perception element and the planning element are the long poles in the tent in the software stand or from a software standpoint, those need to be sub 25 milliseconds, 50. So when they concatenate together, the whole trip should be, you know, under 100 or 150 milliseconds. Because that comes back to that, you know, so that's the latency perspective that, you know, we should, we want to lend to this thing, which mm -hmm. is, you know, a little bit more low level is you've got to process all that in that certain amount of time period. And that's mm -hmm. well under what we do. And of course, if that can happen, then the result of a ball rolling out into the street or a young child, God forbid, flying out into the road, mm -hmm. you've got a lot more reaction time. 
to mm-hmm. do something mm-hmm. with that, and and hence stopping distance and a lot of different things that Robert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so and, and one of the challenges there is we've got all these sensors. Mm-hmm. You've got HD cameras. You've got lidar. You've got radar. It's pumping all of these pipes into the car. So a you have to get that data to the, the compute, mm. then you have to make sense of it, or you have to process it, right. you have right. to make sense of it, and then you have to decide what to do, all in that time frame. Yep. So and, just and think a, how much compute's needed well, there's one to element. do that. There's one yeah. element that's yeah. receiving all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so do you have multiple elements receiving it and then compare the answer? Yeah. You know, a lot of people are doing things like that, you know, so. And it has to stitch it all together in real time and do it like, you know, 20, 30, 40 times a second, yeah. you know. That's right. Yeah, so, so it's very interesting because, you know, the, the sensors are not just looking forward. You know, as we as humans typically look forward until we have to do a maneuver. They're looking all around because they have to get the environment that's all around the car. Mm-hmm. So they're looking not just for you know, stuff that we're going to do, the car's going to do, but what's happening around it mm-hmm. and therefore can sort of take evasive action if necessary. Yeah, for example, like, um, you know, some of the some of the level two plus features that are being pushed out right now, like in the Tesla vehicles, uh, where you can overtake slower vehicles and so the vehicle will automatically change lanes. Yeah. And of course, to do that, you need a lot of intelligence. You need to be yeah. absolutely certain that there's nobody coming from behind at a high rate of speed. Yeah. Of course, that's a very camera-centric solution and you know they're they're good at it i'll give them credit i mean they frankly are one of the best at automated vehicle technologies Mm -hmm. and doing with a camera but uh but yeah the level of intelligence and of course the level of safety just rises considerably once you go to the more advanced levels of yeah and and, and that safety has to go the way through so you know you have to know that the 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 stuff you're getting from the sensors is correct Mm -hmm. okay you have to process it correctly you have to make the right decision about what it is correctly and then make the right decision on what to do correctly. And, and since it's temporal, everything cascades, right? So yeah. everything is dependent on the other one. So so every part or every subsystem has to be at a certain safe level or verified level. That way that the data that's coming in, you know, is is makes sense. And then mm-hmm. there's also that checker at the end uh, mm-hmm. to make sure but, that there's something. But, so I want to come back to something Phil said as well. It's like, yeah, all of the autonomous prototypes out there right now, self-driving car prototypes, you look in the trunk and it's all full of compute. I mean, and it's literally, so it's not deployable. It's too hot. It's too big. It's too heavy. Mm-hmm. It's too power concise. It's too everything. Is it prototype? Is that the right term? It, prototype, I think, is the right term, right? Yeah, now. Because there, so what, what this is really doing is this car is testing the sensors and the software and make sure that they can do the right thing. It's everything mm-hmm. we just talked about. Mm-hmm. So they're throwing compute at it. It's like, I don't know how much compute I need. I'm just going <laughs> to stick a trunk full of compute. And that might sound a little bit flippant, yeah. but it's sort of what we see on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But that's not deployable. Because if I get in a robo-taxi and I go to put my bag in the back, then there's a ton of compute, mm. and the car's super hot because of all the compute. It's like, no, that, that's not practical. Yep. Yeah. So what we're looking at now, as, as an industry generally, but we specifically as ARM, is how can we reduce you know, everything, the size, the power, keep the performance, reduce the thermals and everything else. Mm-hmm. And luckily, ARM's really quite good at that because we're in the small things you carry around in your pocket yeah. every day with a lot of compute in it. Is the process parallel to or, or somewhat similar to the evolution of EVs, electric vehicles, in that when you were, Robert, talking about a prototype and, and you've got compute throughout the whole car, I'm, I'm thinking back to the first 
maybe not the first, but the evolution of EVs and how you just loaded up a car with as many batteries as it could hold, right? Because they couldn't get small yes. enough or powerful yeah. enough. And you didn't worry about luggage, where people would sit, or how hot it got. Yeah. It was just about what can we do to, yeah, to that, generate that electricity. Yeah, that is an interesting analogy, actually. Because powertrain is probably outside of our scope, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, Mark, you've had some experience in powertrain. Mm. but uh, No, only in, only in the management of sure. what I see the evolution, sure. where everything is going to be reporting up yeah. to a central system exactly. and managing it. But yeah. that's the software-defined vehicle, exactly. which is a generation or two above what we're talking about. But, but, so, but, but it's, yeah. the complexity is so high in this you're not just optimizing battery technology Mm -hmm. you're optimizing software you're optimizing where do you stick the compute there's this whole thing right now is do you have one big central brain like a human Mm -hmm. that's taking all this input and i'm waving my hands there taking all this input (laughs) and then processing it like a human brain does or do you actually start putting intelligence towards where the sensors are and so each sensor becomes intelligent. So the compute yeah. just goes, oh, I only need to worry about this sensor because all the rest of them have said, ah, there's nothing out there, don't worry. Well, where do you all lie on that? There's, one there's, there's, there's different schools of thought. I mean, at there one are. end of the yeah. spectrum, you say, okay, let's take all the raw data we can get yes. and then put it in the central compute and try to make sense of it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other school of thought is let's take intelligent sensors that can produce object data yeah. and work with that. And typically, I would say, as far as prototype vehicles, it's a combination of things. I mean, it's mainly central compute right now. And I think it's because yeah. then the people developing the autonomous system kind of own all of it. It's like, yeah. if I, I'm not sure I'm ready to trust that distributed sensor telling me something. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm just getting feeds that are just raw feeds, I trust that everything I do with my software and my hardware. So, but I think now they're looking towards deployment. It's different. It's like, okay. I can't. I can't just deploy this trunk full of compute. Right. I'm going to have to, right. you know, optimize it. Yeah, that's so why. The, that, that's what I think, Phil. Yeah. I mean, just yeah, I would completely agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why software, complementary software for optimizing the training of the neural nets oh, yeah. and the accuracy of them will will prevail. I think in the long run because then you can put lower quality cameras. You can redundant put three or four cameras in different areas and do different things mm-hmm. and uh, and then always select which one or compare the answers of those things as they come in. I think the one thing that we're seeing folks do is they're putting enough sensors on those vehicles for, you know, that there's two different markets now too. There's the level two plus that we were talking about, Phil was talking about, mm-hmm. and then there's the other case and, and they don't necessarily scale. They, you couldn't build one and have it go into the full autonomy scale or, way or you couldn't do something inexpensive with full autonomy and bring it into the lower end. That's that's my feeling there. But I think a lot of times people will put enough sensors so that way you can drive the vehicle with half the compute and, and so on. So yeah. And some sensors too, you know, you're getting some innovation, a lot of innovation actually in the sensor space where they're coupling a couple of different sensors in one module. So naturally they apply some processing and some mm. software there to totally synchronize that and mm. filter out the junk and give you a, a much better um, much better data that you can build into your environmental model. So, mm-hmm. and I, mean, I think we're seeing that with some of the level two stuff right yep. now. With, yep. You know, <clears throat> the cameras and radar being combined. So yeah, you solid get this state sensor. lidar. What do we with s- multiple yeah. cameras yep. and you know and that yep. and it's coming going to come in one particular yeah. chassis, one particular sensor, and that can be placed. And, and so then, you get yeah. you get a very rich perception, a very believable you you would think yep. you know perception result, and that's usually. The idea of the vehicle, the tracking of the vehicle, the vector, the direction that's going, the rate, and then then it, and there's a prediction element yeah. based on what it's doing. So 
you, we can see that in a lot of the, the you know, the typical uh, And the other thing is, as, as you distribute, I mean, as you go out towards the sensor edge, as we call it, you know, then you have to get the size down, you have to get the power down, you have to mm -hmm. get the cost down. Okay, and so, th so that whole economy of, well, I'm moving some of the compute around, but I have to make it a lot smaller, a lot more power efficient, because it's going out towards where the sensor is. Uh -huh. So this is just one area, right, of, of central versus distributed. If we could back out to go macro for a moment, how many different topics of conversation are there where there are various schools of thought across a self-driving vehicle right now about the elements that, that make it? I mean, pol almost polar opposites in terms of how you get to the same place, very different directions. Well, central domain computing has been a topic. Um, it's been talked about for probably 10, 15 years. Mm. Um, the auto industry has moved very, very slow toward that, mm -hmm. right? Um, but they're, they're beginning to see and recognize the benefits of that central compute architecture. Uh, the, the, the one OEM that really came in and did it totally different, and obviously that's Tesla. You know, that is, in my opinion, that is a proxy for future vehicle architecture uh, because it is truly a software-defined car. And I think that is, honestly, the direction that a lot of OEMs are going with respect to their architecture. How long it'll take them to get there, I don't know, because they're up against you know a hundred years of doing things the old way and that is a highly distributed system where you've got all this logic distributed and pushed out uh, rather than central centrally managed like like Tesla does yeah well that's a, and that's a disruptive OEM right yeah. that's not hmm. a traditional Ford GM kind of you know local you know been around forever and they're evolving but that that's very different we have yeah. other guys on the scene Rivian other folks as well that are sure. that are doing, but I always feel like every time I go in to talk to somebody with whatever they're doing, I gotta establish an ele a lexicon of some sort. Like, what do they mean when they say this? What it's not mean? common, Mark. No, it's not. Right? Yeah, and nobody, no. yeah, nobody shares it. And you don't really understand, and like, the, the you know, I don't really know that you know Tesla has a software-defined vehicle. I just know that a lot of people are looking around. They're they're seeing the compute. They're seeing these extra cycles. They want to add other features to those cycles. It's it's. And then, of course, there's this, I think we're going to see the same phenomenon we saw in the networking space, which was, which when we evolved to software-defined networking, yep. is this consolidation. I don't know if it's in one SOC or multiple SOCs, but I think there's going to be a force of that. And what will start coming out is virtual machines and different things that need to, to provide protection and all that kind of stuff. So everybody's probably going to evolve in the way that they, where, where their lineage is, where they're coming from. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know that... Maybe, maybe there'll be people that or developers that'll start fresh, you know, but I don't, I don't know. Well, that, I, so that, yeah, sorry. I was just going to just quickly, and then I'll let you jump on that one. But uh, I was going to say that one of the things that OEMs really would like to be able to do is this remote feature enablement. Hmm. So you configure the cars the same, they're built the same to the same specs, the vehicles hit the showrooms and then they get in the customer hands and then the feature enablement is done over the air with software. And so you pay the extra $5,000 or whatever they're asking these days for, for full self-driving and then they push it out to you and then you have it. And that's the aftermarket of the future. Well, I don't know if I would label it the aftermarket. That is something now that is highly vertically integrated. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really... I. Well, I don't know where we'll be 50 years from now or 100 years from now if the aftermarket is actually going to be able to get down into the ECUs. Uh, it's kind of a scary proposition, but, um, 
but no, the, the, the ability to, to, to enable new features and options remotely via software. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so that, that's a really good point. It's like, well, if I need an extra, you know, 100 horsepower, Oh, that's a software tweak. We can do that. <laughs> which, is, which is scary. So my brain is thinking this whole thing, like what Phil just opened up, is like, yeah, we knew it was there, and we didn't really talk about it. There's another elephant in the room. But, okay, so I got a whole new set of code going down. Do yeah. I I got to bring that in. I got to not let it touch. I gotta, it's got to stay contained. It's got to be in its own sandbox. I got to boot it up on some additional. This is where I'm when I'm talking about VMs being available mm-hmm. on the SOCs. Boot it up in there, test it, run some tests, and then say, okay, now it's deployable. And then when does that get deployed? Is it when I shut the vehicle down and and then it gets deployed and then fired up and then it's you know tested throughout that process and then I start driving it or do I, you know? So it, there's there's a huge. I see it in my head that all these you know. A containment of the domain and then you know all that stuff and then there's folks that when they drive throughout the road they're you know throughout the wherever they're at with all the sensors are collecting this data uh, people want that data and they want to get it up to the cloud and then so there's both directions they want to get it up to the cloud and then share it and then enhance other things there's a lot of other potential there. there's law enforcement potential there's uh, you know a whole bunch of different things uh, mm-hmm. you know advertising and that data is coming back up mm. from the sensors that were on the vehicle that were recording as they drove down the road. So, you know what yeah. I mean? So it gets yeah. kind of mind-boggling. And now. the other elephant in the room is then who owns the data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and pause and they sell it. Yeah, pause exactly. there. Pause there. <laughs> it's a separate podcast yes, or four. That's sure. right. Um, um, so, so, so one of the things that's really interesting, sorry, I'm, 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 that's all right. Yeah, sure, okay. Um, is the... The, the the difference between ADAS, which is level two mm. and a bit of level two plus, and mm-hmm. autonomous, okay, the difference is so huge that there's not one company's really going to be able to do autonomy. Right. Okay? Completely different market. Absolutely. That, that so the, the traditional understood. the traditional automakers, the OEMs and the tier ones, can do ADAS. Okay, they they can get there. They've proven it. It's in our cars. So we have all you know auto, emergency automatic braking, all that sort of stuff. Autonomous is just too big. And so what's happening now is we're seeing relationships, we're seeing people starting to work together. And these are people that don't traditionally work together mm-hmm. are now saying, yeah, this is a bit too big. So the autonomous technology providers are working with the OEMs. The tier ones are coming in. Everybody's trying to figure out how do we actually do this and get this to deployment. You've been doing your prototyping. You know, Everybody's saying we're still a way off when we're actually going to deploy this. How do we get there? And we're starting to see a lot more kind of consortiums being formed. We're seeing a lot more kind of interest in partnering and working together as an industry. Hmm. And that's a real shift in, in, in the auto Ecosystem industry. management is it's, obviously a key yeah. term now. Everybody is talking about who's within their ecosystem and who are their partners and so hmm. forth. Robert, I don't want to lose track of, of, of this point that ARM has uh, a heavy presence at CES 2020. Uh, how much can you tell us about what you all have planned for the show and the meetings and the engagement and what you'll do at the center of the, the tech universe during yeah. the show? So, so CES is a very busy show for ARM. Um, if you think about consumer electronics generally, well, that's, that's ARM's sweet spot. So most of what you will see in most of the halls is some, somehow powered by ARM. Um, when it gets to automotive, it's interesting because the automotive presence at CS has grown dramatically, but it's not always obvious where ARM is in a car. And so what we typically do as ARM is we kind of produce an automotive kind of guide to what's interesting to see on the show floor 
with arm tech in it. So we, we will have booklets at the show that you can come and pick one up that will basically give, give you a guide to all the fun, cool stuff that's actually powered powered by arm devices uh, in automotive. And it's it's amazing the, the different types of systems from infotainment to autonomous systems to just everything that's going on that's cool at CES powered by arm. Yeah, I completely agree. Great launching point for a final lap. All right. I'd like to give each of you one sentence. It can be a run-on sentence. And I'm going to give you a time frame. So let's bring it back to almost where we started here. Phil, for you, one sentence on where the industry will be five years from now. Okay, five years from now, I think we will see a lot more on the ADAS side a lot more of the incremental automation and active and advanced safety features brought out to series production cars because frankly, in my opinion, you are going to see, you know, this business is not going to change overnight and Mm -hmm. you are going to see series production cars sold as they've been for the last, you know, dozens of years for the next, you know, 10 or 20 years. That's, it's going to be a while before that starts to fall off. Mm -hmm. So uh, in five years, I would say, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to see a lot more in series production, but then we'll be a lot further ahead in terms of uh, the level four stuff. And there'll be some deployments in some parts of the country on a very limited basis. All right. Mark, let's double that time frame. A decade from now. Oh, follow the money on any of these questions. Mm -hmm. Because Right now, what I'm seeing is, and I was really excited about, I still am excited, but about a year ago, everybody was doing these things, and now people are trying to enhance them. But I'd say between 5, 10, and beyond, um, you know, if you look at where the money is, where things are going, it's still in ADAS. It's still level 2, level 3. Mm-hmm. I don't see a huge mad dash to get to where people were predicting full autonomy would have been in 2025, it's getting bumped out. It's going. I'm hearing numbers like 2030 and so on, and I I don't see the investment. I see the investment uh, on. And again, there's two markets here. There's the there's the safety and there's the you know the level two plus kind of stuff. And people creep it into level three, and people have opinions about that. But then the full autonomy, it will be sandboxed. It'll be somewhere around with a lot of parameters. I just kind of, I I don't you know I. I don't see a mad dash to that because I don't see the volumes typically don't see the volumes in that mm-hmm. at the traditional level. So I just see our current vehicles getting you know much smarter as they move along. Right. And maybe there'll be a point where that chasm will be crossed. I bring that old term up, but, <laughs> um, but that's, that's, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, well, when you asked Phil that question, I was, I was like, wow, I'm glad you asked him first because <laughs> you know, then I thought, yeah, follow the money. You got to sure. follow the money. Yeah. Because a lot of this stuff is great, and we can get all this technology and try to ram it into something, but um, you know, it's how practical is it going to be, and where is it going to result in? Right, know? right. So, Robert, final to you. Twenty-five years from now, it's twenty thirty-five. Uh, no, twenty forty-five. Twenty forty-five. Working on my math very quickly. Yeah, that's no, good. Twenty forty-five. Um, yeah, I'll have a walker then. I don't know about you. <laughs> yes. I mean, I made well, yeah, but so, you can go so, anywhere you want, Mark. So, I mean, that's right. So an car. autonomous car will pick Mark up every day. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> if he's still alive. <laughs> that's right, if he's still alive. So, so I think what will have happened by then is car ownership will have changed. Mm. We will not own our mm. own cars anymore. Or at least if we do, they'll be hobby cars. Okay. Um, 
ride sharing will be an interesting thing whether it's you know dominated by the the you know current ride sharing companies or whether we all do our own kind of micro ride sharing in that I'm going to buy a car but then I'm going to share it with everyone else mm-hmm. or I'm just going to share somebody else's car so basically our whole model for car ownership and you know how we use cars whether we're self-driving or not self-driving is going to change but I think there will be uh, people will actually start to see the benefits of having cars making decisions versus humans on the road and I think at that point 25 years from now we could well see more self-driving cars than driven cars on the road and much safer roads oh, highways God, yes. streets yes yeah you can comb your hair and eat without <laughs> crashing legally yes yes <laughs> What a conversation. Robert Day is Director of Automotive Solutions at Platforms at Arm. Mark Douglas is Field Software Solutions Architect at NXP. And Phil Magny is Founder and Principal Advisor at VSI Labs. Gentlemen, I feel like I'm flipping on the lights right before closing time and killing a great conversation, but what a blast today. Thank you all for the time. Thank you. It's our pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. All right, coming up on our next edition of CES Tech Talk, a very hot topic here in Washington for various reasons, but really one that's happening around the world. A look at cryptocurrency. That is on our next edition of CES Tech Talk. We are here to help you get CES ready, so do yourself a favor, subscribe to the CES Tech Talk podcast. That way you won't miss a single episode as you're getting ready for the next show. Speaking of, CES 2020 is January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas. The information you need to prep yourself and your trip is at ces.tech. As always, none of this is even remotely possible without the true stars of our podcast. Executive producer Tina Anthony and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. Y'all are the best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon.